You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The Shadow Academy prospects universities in a domain shadowing campaign. Notes on Turla's crutch and information-stealing backdoor. Bismuth was using cryptojacking as misdirection. CISA and the FBI warned think tanks that cyber spies are after them. North Korean cyber espionage is interested in COVID-19 treatments. Our guest is Carrie O'Connor Colajay from Authentics on combating fraud in the financial services and payment industry. And a member of the Apophis Group gets eight years in prison. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020. Risk IQ this morning released a report on a threat actor it calls the Shadow Academy. While it walks and quacks like the Iran-linked Mabna Institute and Silent Librarian and shares a number of their targets, researchers don't think the overlap in TTPs and targeting sufficient for definitive attribution. The name Shadow Academy alludes to the group's use of domain shadowing to gain access to its victims' networks and to the fact that its targets were universities. The attacks hit 20 institutions in Australia, the United States, and the United Kingdom. Also this morning, ESET reported finding a backdoor and information stealer in the systems of a European Union member country's foreign ministry. The malware is not new, as it seems to have been in use between 2015 and 2020, but it had been undocumented. ESET calls the backdoor Crutch, and they're confident it belongs to the threat group Turla, which has been using it to pull stolen files into a Dropbox account Turla controls. Crutch isn't a first-stage backdoor, but is installed into previously compromised networks. Turla, of course, is also known as Ouroboros and Venomous Bear. It's a Russian cyber espionage outfit that specialized in former Soviet republics and former members of the Warsaw Pact. The cryptojacking associated with the threat actor Microsoft calls Bismuth also known as Ocean Lotus or APT-32, cryptojacking associated with the government of Vietnam, appears to be misdirection for more conventional cyber espionage. As Tech Nadu points out, 
Defenders who see cryptojacking are likely to dismiss the incident as the work of a commodity botnet, deal with it, move on, and overlook the possibility that a more sophisticated attack is underway. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency and the FBI have issued a joint warning that unspecified threat actors are pursuing think tanks. They are significantly, but not exclusively, prospecting individuals and organizations that focus on international affairs or national security policy, and they're using social engineering to gain access. Given the important role think tanks play in informing and shaping national policy, CISA and the Bureau recommend that these organizations take steps to improve their resistance to cyber espionage. The advice could well be applied to other organizations under this kind of threat as well. Leaders should implement a training program to familiarize users with identifying social engineering techniques and phishing emails. Staff should apply that training and stay vigilant against highly tailored spear phishing attacks that target them through not only organizational accounts but through personal accounts as well. They should be particularly careful about opening email attachments and using removable media like thumb drives. The caution about email attachments, CISA and the FBI comment, should extend even to emails the recipient expects and even to emails from senders the recipient knows. They add a number of other recommendations for sound cyber hygiene, and the warning is worth a look, whether you work at a think tank or not. The Wall Street Journal has the story on another cyber espionage campaign, this one targeting pharmaceutical companies working on COVID-19 vaccines. In addition to the British firm AstraZeneca, the affected companies were U.S.-based Johnson & Johnson and Novavax, and three South Korean companies, Genazine, Shinpung Pharmaceuticals, and Celtrion. The attackers were North Korean, and while it's unknown whether they had any success, it appears that they fell short of getting whatever they were after. Even if they had succeeded in stealing detailed information on COVID-19 treatments, it's not unlikely that Pyongyang would be able to produce the vaccines or pharmaceuticals. It's likelier that the DPRK would sell the information to some third party who could, perhaps China. So start snitching. No, seriously, start snitching on Pyongyang and win valuable prizes. Foggy Bottom will make it worth your while. The U.S. State Department is offering rewards of up to $5 million for information that leads to the disruption of financial mechanisms of persons engaged in certain activities that support North Korea, including money laundering, exportation of luxury goods to North Korea, specified cyber activity, and actions that support WMD proliferation. The offer is made under the department's Rewards for Justice program. Consensus in the security sector seems to be that extortion will dominate cybercrime during 2021, primarily ransomware in increasingly virulent forms, involving the now-routine sweetener of data theft and the prospect of doxing, and a probable resurgence of shakedowns by threatened distributed denial of service. Acronis has a useful summary of the grounds for expecting this trend, and Asigra distills five predictions relating specifically to ransomware. First, expect ransomware attacks on Kubernetes containers. Second, SaaS-based applications will be targets as remote work remains widespread. More attacks will be enabled by artificial intelligence. Legislators are increasingly moving toward making ransom payments illegal. And managed security service providers should expect more government regulation, including requirements to register with the government. 
Recognizing this trend, IBM's Security Intelligence blog offers five lessons learned from 2020 that organizations ought to consider applying in 2021. First, build a cybersecurity incident response plan, a formal plan, not seat-of-the-pants, stick-and-rudder improvisation. Next, understand that the SERP is a living document. The adversary adapts and shifts, and so must the defenders. Test and exercise your cybersecurity incident response plan. And when you test and exercise it, make sure the right people participate and design the exercise to engage and profit them. And last, try online crisis simulation training, an important kind of exercise, and try to gamify it. So, do these predictions come true? If the Black Friday and Cyber Monday experience is any indication, many of the forecasts are accurate, at least in broad outline. CyberInt has found, as expected, a high volume of criminal activity during the holiday shopping season. TransUnion connects the rise in fraud to another trend, bluntly writing, holiday fraud concerns during pandemic come true. The crooks have their own holiday sales. SpyCloud sees the bad guys offering bargains galore in the criminal-to-criminal market. Among the small coterie of jerks who styled themselves the Apophis Squad was one Timothy Dalton Vaughn, now 22, formerly of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. On Monday, Mr. Vaughn received a sentence of eight years in prison for conspiracy, conducting computer attacks, and possession of child pornography. Mr. Vaughn and the other malign losers of the Apophis squad specialized in website defacements, bogus threats of school violence, false reports of airline hijacking, and so on. Their motives ranged from just the lulls to money. In one 2018 case, the U.S. Department of Justice describes in their account of the sentencing, Mr. Vaughn demanded 1.5 Bitcoin, then worth about 20 grand, from a company in exchange for not shutting down their site with a distributed denial-of-service attack. They didn't pay, and he followed through with the DDoS. In his salad days, Mr. Vaughn gloried in his hacker names Wanted by Feds and Hacker R Us, which he might now consider changing to Gotten by Feds and Inmate R Us. The Bureau of Prisons will host Mr. Vaughn during the sabbatical he's been granted by the U.S. District Court for the Central District of California. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire.
The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Kerry O'Connor Collegey is CEO at identity intelligence firm Authentics. She shares her experience combating fraud in the financial services and payment industries. What we found, Dave, is that in the last you know six to nine months, there's been a 300% increase in fraud in general. A majority of that definitely happening in within the financial sector. And the evidence of that, you know, is is based on what we're seeing, particularly right now in the U.S. with unemployment fraud, PPP fraud, um, identity fraud being at the core of all of this. And the growth, you know, is bringing us to a state of where there could be close to $42 billion um, in fraudulent activity that is committed in 2020. And One of the big reasons for that is this move to society, and particularly in the COVID age, moving more and more online. And every moment of our lives, whether it's we're looking at our watch or we're logging into our computer or we have a connected um, appliance in our home, is when we're transferring information. And each time we transfer that information with the endpoint, you know, opens up a potential door for a fraudulent attack. And so this, you know, this year, the growth in fraud has been tremendous because of each of us living our lives, whether we work, we play, we live um, online. Can you give us some insights on, on two things? I mean, sort of the, you know, the bread and butter fraud prevention that, um, that fintech organizations rely on, but then also where are we in terms of the cutting edge? The big trajectory over the last couple of years is all around, you know, KYC, KYB. So know your customer, know your business. We're now seeing kind of an emergence of know your employee. And the fraud checks that have been that have happened in the past tend to happen up front um, in the customer journey. So if I want to open up a bank account or I want to open up an account to move money to a friend, a P2P transaction, there's a set of um, checks and balances that are put in place in order to reassure um, the institution or that fintech that I am who I say I am. And there's there's been a lot of advances in how do you make that determination, everything from capturing uh, your driver's license or a government-issued ID to uh, checking to see if whether you're a live person and if your um, selfie matches the the picture on the ID to triangulating geolocation and behavioral based data. But what's really shifted is, you know, these checks don't just need to happen at the beginning of a customer relationship with an entity, whether it's a fintech or any enterprise, but it also ha- it has to happen in a continuous way. It may not be enough to just submit that who I am and some information about me, but I may also need to submit my, you know, a year's worth of financial information for my business. Maybe I have to do a selfie check. Maybe I have to share something else. And so these different layers of defense are effectively what's becoming the new norm in the world that we live in. 
That's Carrie O'Connor Colage from Authentics. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is David DeFore. He's the vice president of engineering at Webroot. Uh, David, it is always great to check in with you. Um, I don't know about you, but I am wondering where this year has gone uh, at the same time, I will admit, uh, 2020, not going to miss it. Not going to miss it. <laughs> hey, David, you? It, it's great being here, David. And and I got to agree with you. 2020 is, is one for the record books. I am not going to miss it either. Um, it, it has been pretty crazy, both, you know, <laughs> with everything going on. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's that time of year when we start looking towards, uh, 2021, uh, what sort of things are on your list? What's on your radar for uh, for what we might see in the coming year? Well, let's kind of start with boring, obvious, and then we'll work work our way from there. I, I, <laughs> Wait, way to sell it, Dave. Way exactly. to sell it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Go ahead. So, well, I mean, the most obvious thing, all your listeners are going to be like ransomware. Of course, it's going to continue to be a threat. We're going to continue right. to see, you know, problems there. It's They're just making so much money, the cyber criminals with ransomware, that, that we've just got to stay focused on ensuring we've got good backups, ensuring we've got software to detect and prevent it, and then just being ready, having that actual physical plan that you're going to execute if you if you fall victim to a ransomware, because it's just so pervasive and makes so much money. I, I don't see that going away next year. Hmm. Do you think we might see any movement on, for example, we've seen some some policy decisions where perhaps we could have some regulations forbidding folks from paying the ransom? Well, so I fear that because I, I'm uh, kind of afraid that if you forbid somebody to pay a ransom, are they going to be able to run their business after the fact? And, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you if you make a, a government policy like that, are you literally shutting down someone's business? Um, but it's a fair question. And and I don't have an answer for that, by the way, because it, yeah. it literally is what did you do before the attack uh, that will help you survive afterwards? And, and so mm-hmm. – uh, if the government comes through with something like that, we absolutely have to make sure we're prepared to recover um, if we're not allowed to pay the ransom. That's very interesting. Right, right. What else do you see coming along in 2021? Um, you know, this one is is arguable. There's a there's a large discussion happening around will people stay remote for the rest of their lives? I think there's a lot of people that, that want that uh, office home life balance. I don't think people would have ever thought they really wanted that until they were forced to work at home with their family um, mm-hmm. 100% of the time. So I think there will become some some equilibrium that we reach around how we work from home or remote. 
um, what that looks like, what those expectations are. And then in terms of cybersecurity, as that equilibrium is reached, then we'll be able to really see what the cyber criminals are able to take advantage of based on the tools that people are using, et cetera. That'll take a year or two to bake in. I think, you know, the out the gate, we saw the attacks on video conferencing and things like that. But but right now it's still kind of up in the air. The pendulum's still swinging, hasn't settled in yet. So until we see that, uh, I can't exactly say what we're going to see in terms of the cyber attacks, but I do think we'll see that normalization of work that'll, that'll be more remote than it was, but won't be 100%. Do you think we're going to continue to see this movement towards the cloud? 100%. And, and not only that, um, uh, I, like cloud, everything we do, everything you know, I'm doing at my work and everything I hear from different people, cloud is the focus. And I you know, take this one step further, and, and, and you may or may not know this, but in 2017, I bought a two-in-one uh, uh, laptop. Um, I put a SIM card in it, and for 12 months, I did not use a wired network. I was either using, um, you know, a cellular LTE network, or I was using, uh, I wasn't even using Wi-Fi. I, I stayed on a SIM card for a year. Hmm. Why am I saying this to you? I believe that over the next 10 years and by 2030, we're going to see a transformation of not just cloud for our servers and our applications, but I believe there's going to be a huge push for uh, a cloud network infrastructure where we don't have the level of network infrastructure we have today, the physical layer. All of this will exist in the cloud. We're going to connect to the network with our 5G SIM card and off we go to the races. And, and we're going to have a lot of security implications around that. But I got to wait for the cyber criminals to figure out how to attack that. Then, then we can defend against it. Yeah. What about the people side of things? I mean, we have this uh, perceived skill skills gap. Do you think we're going to see any relief there in the coming year? Well, I, you know, I don't know what you're talking about here, skills gap. I think we got plenty of cybersecurity people, David. We're covered there, so I, we don't even need to talk <laughs> about that. No, honestly, I, that, you know... I don't know what we're going to do. Um, you know, there's a lot of automation going on. I know a lot of the the solutions we try to focus on are about automating so you don't have to bring people in. But when you're in an enterprise situation, you're investigating at such a level that you need more and more people. So there's a huge, huge skills gap. And, and something that I keep chewing on, and it might be fun to talk about sometime, David, is not not it's not only a skills gap on a reverse engineer who can break down a piece of malware that understand it so you can build the tool to protect against it. It's about the analysts. It's about the data uh, the, the the machine learning specialists. It's you know you don't have to have a PhD in particle physics to be part of uh, the solution here. Maybe you're training models that someone else came up with, or maybe you're analyzing things in a new way that lets you uh, you know report things out. There's there's such a spectrum of jobs that could be filled to assist this whole thing. It's not having everyone know about every type of malware, and I think we need to have that conversation. Yeah, that that to me, I think you're really on to something here because I, I hear folks saying that, yeah, you know, there, there might be a skills gap, but really it's it's those higher level folks who are able to walk in and hit the ground running. That's the folks we have short a shortage of. But at the same time, we don't seem to be willing to train up the people to fill in from from below. And, and that is exactly the point. What is the model for bringing in an intern, someone out of school that's just really looking to, you know, cut their teeth on cybersecurity? How do we get them involved and then move them up the ladder as we, you know, backfill all the way up? Because that's that's the road to success, I think, in this industry. Yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, we'll, we'll have to check in a year from now and see how you did. See, uh, see how horribly wrong I was. <laughs> Ransomware is gone and we've solved it. Right, right. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly. All right, David DeFore, thanks for joining us. Take care, David. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. The pause that refreshes. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.